do you bleed American? Well, maybe you'll answer that question with this episode. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we will be going a bit into the pop punk side of things by discussing Jimmy World's 2001 album, Believe American. This was our whole choice for the 2000s, inspired by the Ocean's Calling Festival. I don't think either of us were expecting this one to win, but it did. So we're here discussing Jimmy World. Go go. all over the place here. (laughs) We are definitely all over the place. And now we're at Jimmy Eat World. Yes, we are. But some good news is we'll be living up to the tea promise of our title. There was a lot of tea for this album and the making of it. Definitely was. I was surprised. Well, I always forget what years things happen. So <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised. But it was. It was. It's always neat to see albums that come across different like milestones in American history and how it affects the album. Yeah, there was a big one this year, but we're not going to start with that. The story of Bleed American actually begins a couple of years earlier in 1999, when I'm not quite clear on what it was, but Jimmy World left their label slash they were dropped from Capitol Records. One of the two, probably a combination of both. They didn't feel like they were on Capitol's priority list, and their third album, their second with the label, Clarity, didn't do that hot for them. So they left Capitol. Yeah, they they left on a legal and I won't say positive note. From what I could put together, that was Clarity was their end of deal. That was the second album that they were contracted with them. Mm -hmm. And that I believe the band had gone on to say later on that the company was under new management with a new president and a whole bunch of crap. And they felt even as young artists and, and working artists uh, that it was just too unorganized and they were falling, you know, into the cracks. I mean, they could have been dropped possibly too. if The sales weren't good enough, I guess. I mean, 14 minute songs. <laughs> yeah. Aren't necessarily, you know, they had a 14 minute song on there. And, and as much as I respect a good old long jam, it you know it it's not what's going to sell necessarily inside of their genre or their crossover genres in my opinion oh no not at all because this is primarily a pop punk band some have called it emo i don't think that's a hundred percent accurate but pop punk i would agree with uh the good news is i don't think they're as grading as other pop punk bands i'll say that right now because agreed i i read power pop and I, I like that too there's some power pop here i guess if, yes. i don't know if i've ever used that as a as a genre but <laughs> power pop i can feel it i can I mean, see where you're at definitely and uh there's good influences from that genre i feel like that's very like the cars cheap trick and in, in the 90s weezer yeah. so uh definite influences here and i would say positive ones in my opinion because all great bands but Talking about this band still. The Weezer will come up again a bit later, but not quite yet. Yeah, Jimmy World, they were without a label. And so they actually, they took up odd jobs. And they released a compilation on a independent label called Singles and went on a tour in Europe that their management advised against because they weren't big enough. But the band said, forget it, we're doing it, and drop their management. They were free agents, and uh, the proceeds from that tour and the sales of the singles rarities compilation funded the recording of their fourth album, which was Bleed American. And their producer, Mark Trombino, had worked with them previously, liked working with them, 
And he offered the work for free until after the album's release, which is insane. Every part of of this whole entire getting to this album is mad respect. I mean, this is the plight of your everyday trying to make it as a rock star. These guys went from having albums already out there and then having to go back to like doing stuff like selling car parts, you know, selling art equipment, doing it was I can't remember all four of the jobs, but they I mean, they were working and then to be like, screw it. Like, you you know, like a lot of artists that are listening know how it feels. You're like, we got to do a tour and it's going to be out of our pocket and we're not going to be able to pay a few people. But there's that much love in our camp that we're going to see this through. I, I mad respect reading about how this came to be yeah and it was like that the whole time the drummer zach lind actually was worried that the check for mixing the album would bounce because he feared the band was close to bankruptcy which is insane but there was a confidence that this album was going to be good it was going to be successful they had that confidence in their work at this time which is something i will say especially to take such a big risk, but they decided to change things up because they knew what they'd done. It wasn't that they didn't like it, but they decided, well, we need to do something else because we can sell more records. And uh, they decided no more 14, 16 minute songs. We're going to make shorter songs, more direct, simpler. And uh, that was what they did with this album. And uh, there actually ended up being a bidding war between labels because once the songs were coming out, label executives were loving it including Capital, they offered to re-sign them after they heard the finished album. I read that they had to lock the door during recording, like literally lock the studio doors because A&R just kept coming around. And they finally were like, look, you know, we're not on the market, so to speak. We're, we're recording this and then you guys can fight it out. I love that. Yeah. If, if anybody listening doesn't know what A&R is, I got that right, right, Charlie? Yeah, A&R. artists and repertoire. Yeah, it's basically like uh, if if you were akin to like a sports team and you were coming up as a player, them looking for talent or really just any scout. They're, they're scouting for talent is, is the bottom line. And they had to lock the door on the scouts. So I love I love it. Yes. And with all that bidding, Jimmy World chose to go with DreamWorks Records. I didn't know that was a thing. I know them as an animation studio, big year for them. This was the year the first Shrek movie came out, actually. So pretty crazy how that happened. Big thing for both the record and movie divisions of DreamWorks. (laughs) And uh, yep, the album was called The Lead American, and the cover was taken from a photo called Memphis by William Eggleston, and it was released in July of 2001. And the album was a success, like within the first four months of releasing, it already outsold the previous album, and it sold like 173,000 copies. But, as you alluded to earlier, on September 11th, 2001, the world forever changed with the horrific attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City, And the band was worried our album title might be misinterpreted after this tragedy. 
So in December of 2001, they just changed the title to Jimmy Eat World. And uh, the album was not reverted back to its original title until 2008, actually. Probably a smart move on their part. It was 100% a smart move. But regardless if it came from the label or if it came from the artist, what a great thought rather than fighting it and being like that nah, this is the album you know and that's the way america was then too you know we were all bonding together a- across the board so it's good to see people thinking about happiness and love maybe that came from the love that they were experiencing inside their camp you know i don't know the guys but maybe they're like super stand-up dudes which hopefully they are i would hope so and uh it was also smart because then you don't have to recall the album it's just well we'll just change the title and True. keep pressing it because this was the CD era. And, uh, well, they sold a good amount of CDs. The album was platinum by the end of 2002. Mind-blowing. I read that. Yeah. I was like, shoof, gone. Yeah. After three albums that hadn't even gone gold, Jimmy yeah. World had a platinum album. And uh, this album's really well-received by the pop, punk, and emo listeners. And it's often been credited with helping make that sound mainstream. I actually would say... 2002 was a really big year for pop punk coming forth, but they did it even a bit before Avril Lavigne released her first album in 2002, which was Let Go, and that was a huge album. And admittedly, she's a pop star, but she is very much credited with helping bring that pop punk sound forth with songs like Skater Boy, which I can say. I'll tell you right now, in 2002, I was almost removed, or in that era, I was almost super all the way removed from popular music and listening to, I'll say, 98% Fish at this point. And these songs, of course, bled through. Like, the the songs that I heard and didn't even realize I heard or I heard, and I'll talk about this later, I used to make fun of this genre a lot. For me, it was like crying and sold out, and it mimicked a lot of guys that that I respected. Again, I was a younger man back then, but that's how I felt. So to speak to the way that it was regarded and, and taken on by the people, it made it through through that. Yeah, I mean, speaking of this genre, the way you felt about it then the way I feel about it now. And it's not because of this band. There have been many bands since this that have come forth and done this pop punk emo sound. And I agree with you. I think a lot of them are inferior musicians to those that they're taking steps from. And uh, it is whiny. I don't think the lyrics are great. I'm not going to say I've never felt sorry for myself, but I feel like that's what a lot of it is. And uh, I just don't fully get how, I mean, I understand feeling nostalgic for your era of music, but a lot of people my age still love this stuff and find it relatable. And I'm like, but why? Like, I don't love everything I listened to in middle school. There's some stuff I still like, but not all of it. Well, I mean, we stick with the divisiveness of the artist uh, of music in it in its purest form but i agree with you to the point of this genre always came a bit shrill to me and i wrote off most of it looking back and and shame on me for for not listening and what a great chance that we get to listen to albums like this because you know we're doing this beautiful podcast together but the bottom line is it it always hit shrill to me and, and i cut it off and i can see where you're talking about you know there it's i don't know what it is about this genre i can't put my finger on it we could keep talking in circles about it but it's just it hits different and it always didn't settle correct with me. And it doesn't settle correct with me to this day. So 
This one was a bit of a challenge for me, but I don't think this is fully an emo album, fortunately. So that made this easier than it could have been. So I'll say that right now. But yeah, I really don't have much else to add. I'm just kind of, I guess, ready to do our thing and go into it, you know? Just real quick on the flip side of that coin. I listened to this album for this listen through 10 times more than I've listened to the albums before. And it took me a hot minute. And 100% see-through right now. It took me a hot minute to, like, get out of the automatic negativity I had for the genre. Um, and and I did. I did. I made it through. I'm sorry. I could go on it forever. It's crazy. Let's let's break it down. <laughs> yeah. Two pop punk haters take no, no, on no. the world. <laughs> We're not haters. We just... Uh, yeah, we're haters. We're haters. <laughs> go on. We're, we're, we're kind of haters of this genre. Sorry, but I'm sure all the people who bought Blink-182 tickets will attack us if they're listening because they're on an arena tour, but... This is a whole rabbit hole because Blink-182 has the numbers to back that shit up that can rival but Michael Jackson. Why, this is crazy. I, well, this, is another, this is another podcast. This is another podcast. I've fought this battle for years. This is another podcast. <laughs> I piss people off by saying Blink-182 sucks, and I'm sorry they do. Look, everybody's turned the podcast off. <laughs> they should not still be popular enough to be headlining arenas. That's terrible, in my opinion. And I wanted to say that because that eats away at me, man. It really does. That's that's the hottest take I think I've ever heard you say. There's a lot of people selling out arenas that I, I think are... <laughs> way more subpar and and i don't give them again this is another another podcast well in its entirety you're not wrong but there's (laughs) yeah i just i don't get it they should have gone down to the smaller venues by this point why but anyway moving on because this isn't about blink 182 Thank God. It's about Chibi Eat World. And uh, we're going to be discussing this album. And it begins with the title track, Bleed American. This song was naturally retitled when the album was retitled to Salt, Sweat, Sugar, because that's the first phrase in the chorus. And uh, I feel like this is an attempt at social commentary. The group said that it was about how we let trivial things get to us. Um, I get that kind of. Uh, I think this song's very catchy. I'll give it that. I don't think this kind of social commentary, because that's what I do think it is. I read it as social commentary. And uh, I don't think that's fully in their wheelhouse to go about it this way to make a comment on our society. I think they do a better job of it elsewhere, of making a social commentary about a hard issue. This one uh, doesn't really cut it for me. What do you think of it? Right off the bat, power chords equal a powerful start on on this track. The power chords sing, and the lyrics are pretty straightforward in their in their fact on society. I think the band was quoted saying that a lot of this album was in a second person or sang in second person and reading it over and over again. I can see, I can see the plight of the younger guy inside of this time period. Um, And that's who they are. Once I got to the point where I started to give respect to them for just who they were and how hard they worked for it. And I started to read these lyrics more. It sounded like almost 
a lot of this album sounds like it and and they they went on to say that as well is that it's it's stands true throughout the album but it's just something that they were dealing with uh the refrain lick in this in this song is is one of those hooks you know it's one of those hooks that are going to stay around they'll they'll always catch ears well done and they produced a lot of this album too it's produced very well it's a good first track yeah it's a good album opener i will give it that and uh one really positive thing I have to say, I did find the live performance of the band doing this song on the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn way before James Corden was doing it. And the, the live performance was awesome. I mean, I could definitely see these guys are dynamic live performers uh, looking at it, and I give them a lot of credit for that. And I do think that helped their album sales. I think there were people exposed to them who saw this band live and thought, wow, like these guys are awesome. They really work hard up there. You can tell that in their performances, I think. And well, in this era, they were fortunate enough to get that platform with some of the bands that they opened for. But yeah, this was the first single from the album, which seems kind of crazy in retrospect, but it was, and it made it up to 18 on the alternative chart in the U.S., and it was top 60 in the U.K. and Scotland, so not as big as they'd get in this era, but better than where they'd been. This was a success moment for them just to do this well, so good for them. I have nothing but respect for how hard they worked. Yeah, this, I mean, this single was, what, three, four months before the album actually launched? No, it was around the same time. It was before the album was retitled. Oh, got you, got you. I thought thought they had left it to radio before this had got released. It was released before 9-11, so Summer of 01, this was released as a single. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, it helped get their name out there, and that was what they were going for. So yeah, I think it sets the tone for what we're listening to. Well, I will definitely give it that, even if it's not 100% my cup of tea, but I do think it's well-produced and catchy. And uh, with that being said, now we're on to the second track, A Praise Chorus. This song I read as a love letter to great songs and how they can get you out of your shell, which I think is a beautiful message. And uh, it fits this band well, because I think in a lot of ways they were singing to the outcasts on this album. I think they were trying to be a voice for that in a lot of ways. And uh, it even references some classic songs in its uh, bridge, I guess you could say. It would be the bridge. We get references to... Crimson and Clover, originally Tommy James, later Joan Jett, Our House by Madness, Rock and Roll Fantasy by Bad Company, Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue, Why Did We Ever Meet, Don't Let's Start, All of My Everythings. Um, I mean, I think this is a great message of a song. I'll give it that. I do think that the references are a bit disjointed. I think they do the best they can with putting it together, but I do think it's a bit, bit disjointed. What do you think? This song took a bunch of listens for me to actually realize what it was. And that is just what you were saying. Um, This shout out to inspiration and to to great songs. In fact, I heard the Crimson and Clover in it. And when I heard that, I was like, man, this is like so rip offish. But once I read about this song and 
realized the I'll use the word intricacy of putting all of those together in in that bridge. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I give it extra points for that. It's a very smart song and it's really neat how it slides under that because it comes off with the same tempo almost of the first song of the album. Okay. And on first listen for me, even I, I love the guitar. I love the way the guitar falls off to muted chords and then and then ends up just being drums before the next verse starts after this this bridge. But the music is almost on the same level as the first song. So without diving in and and having so many listens to it and really gaining a newfound respect for what the song is, it's just a mediocre song to me. But with the epiphany of what the song is as a shout out back to their inspirations, it's a neat one. It's a very smart song. Yes, I would agree that it's a smart song. It's not my favorite thing in the world to listen to, but I can appreciate the construction. Yeah. But now we're on to the big one. Track number three, The Middle. This is one of those songs that's it's been omnipresent for the past 20 years at this point. I feel like it's one of those songs where you may think, I've never heard of this band. I don't know any of their songs, but you hear this song and you're like, oh, I know that song. It's uh, definitely one of those. I feel it's that omnipresent in this country, at least for the past 20 years, because it's always uh, been around in the background, if you get what I'm saying. You know what I mean? When we went off air last week, that's literally what happened. I literally said to Charlie, hey, I'm not sure I know these guys. And he was like, you know them. And I I was like, what? I put the album on. He was like, go to the middle. And I hit the middle. I was like, I know, I know, okay. I know exactly who they are. So yes, it is. There's no way you can't know this song. And I don't say it very often. I say hard pressed a bunch, but shit. This is way past hard pressed. Everybody's heard this song. No, if there's any song in this whole month yeah. that we've covered that everybody knows, and I'm counting the next album we're doing too, it's this song. Heard. It's one that can speak to everybody, I think. So the inspiration behind it was uh, Jim Adkins, the, le- the band's lead singer, got an email from a middle school fan of theirs, and she worried that she wasn't punk enough. She felt like she was being excluded. But Jim thought, well, you being excluded, that's not very punk. He didn't think that was cool. And so he wrote this song as kind of a pick-me-up anthem, I would say. And uh, I uh, <laughs> recently, Tom Bryhan from Stereo Gum called this a quote-unquote gloriously good-hearted group hug emo anthem. And that's a perfect description right there. I've never thought of this as an emo song. I think this is much more in that power pop vein. I hear a lot of uh, Weezer, even the Cars and Cheap Trick in this. That's what I hear in this, not emo. And also it's more uplifting than a lot of emo songs. Even the verses, I feel like, aren't that specific in being too depressing, which I appreciate about the song. And uh, definitely helped it cross over in a way other emo songs just didn't, which it did. This was a huge hit, as I said. It was moderate in Europe, but in the U.S., yeah, inescapable. Made it up to number five on the Hot 100 and was 14 for the year. And this is another case of, much like with Franz Ferdinand last week, this wasn't the pop sound of the time. So this song was mentioned recently in the number ones column as a song that peaked behind the song that was number one. And 
we're in the Murder, Inc. era of the pop charts. The number one song when this song peaked was Ashanti's Foolish. So big 180 from this song. But it really caught on to a lot of people. And uh, I think that it applied to the band and their story with having come up uh, from these hard times with losing their deal and all that, working the odd jobs they were stuck in the middle and frankly this was a crazy time for the country as well in the aftermath of 9-11 so uh, this song just spoke to a lot of people at that time and that's why i think this is a case of right place right time for a song like this to break through impeccably said there's there's no other way around that right place right time for a great song about for me I didn't see anything other than like the 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 band's real plight uh, coming through that. You know, it's it's one of those never give up, everything's gonna be all right songs. And then on top of that, you have nine eleven happen, and this becomes the most played song on the radio and all over, ex- especially Canada. That actually yes. was the most uh, played song on the radio in Canada. Yes. But I mean, this one, there was no way about around being happy when you heard it. It literally says everything's going to be all right. Fun fact on this one, I found out that there was a bootleg recording of Prince covering this song at an after party at the 2009 Oscars. And then uh, they actually played it for him. And uh, I, I could only imagine how much of a moment that would have been for them. You know what I'm saying? But, oh, Yeah. But that's how you want to talk about omnipresent. You're in 2009 and and Prince is covering at an after party, you know? (laughs) Yes. And uh, Prince was definitely not pop punk. That's as far away as you can get from it. And uh, this song spoke to him enough to cover it. And uh, I think that says a lot. And that was one cover I was going to mention. But there's another cover slash guest performance I want to talk about a bit because, as I said, this song spoke to a lot of people. Some of those people were eventually musicians. And uh, in 2002, a middle school girl named Taylor Swift heard this song. Okay. And uh, it really spoke to her because she was rejected quite a bit at this age. She was not understood by her peers. And uh, she loved the song. And uh, There was a video I found of her covering it at an early concert of hers in 2008 at a college campus, which it's crazy to think Taylor Swift ever played at college campuses, but once upon a time, she did. This was not recently, ladies and gentlemen. This was before she took over the world, which she pretty much has. But Taylor still loved the song, and a few years later in 2011, while on her Speak Now tour... She would do a thing during the show where she would have a special guest come out to do a duet with her. And one night in Glendale, Arizona, she had Jim Adkins of Jimmy Eat World come out and they performed the middle together at the concert. And uh, the coolest part of this performance isn't actually the two of them singing. It's that mid-song, Taylor stops it and says, this guy said that nobody would know who he was. And she asked her whole audience, sold out arena crowd, to give Jim Adkins a hand for his music because he had such an inspiration on her. And she's continued to sing the praises of this band. She even would put their lyrics of not just this song, but deep cuts of theirs on her arm at shows during this tour. So 
She's a Jimmy World diehard, actually. And I could, uh, I could see at that age, you know, you hear songs like this, got to hold on to, to the happy stuff. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting. She did it on the Speak Now tour because that was the album where she actually went pop punk a bit for a couple of songs. But I thought it was very interesting that these guys were musical heroes of hers. It's not something you would automatically think with Taylor Swift, but it is the case. Uh, and I think that's awesome that she paid tribute to them in such a beautiful way at her concert way back then. And uh, I mean, yeah, that says something about it. And I am certain that her influence got more people to listen to this band and album because she's Taylor Swift. She has that kind of power over people. So there you go. There you go. A good way to uh, to up your heroes, you know? Yes. And uh, I respect that she did that. So but I'm a bit of a Swifty, if you couldn't tell, I guess. But... Swifty. Is that really what their fans are called? Swifties? Yes. Yeah, I like that. Yes. Swifties. I, yeah, I can't wait for her new album this Friday, actually. Cannot wait. Oh, shit. I didn't even know that. There we go. Yeah. So, oh, no, I cannot wait. I think it's going to be awesome. It's called Midnight's. I mean, what a cool album title. Oh, let's go. Yes, but... I love me some some Taylor. Yes, but sadly, we're done talking about her. And we're on to track number four, which is uh, Your House. This is a more stripped-down track. I guess we needed a come-down after the previous three songs. This is a real paint-by-the-numbers breakup song. This is a filler for me. I can definitely see why this is one of the least streamed songs on the album. And admittedly, the middle's a hard act to follow. And I wouldn't entirely be surprised if there were some people who bought the CD and heard this and were like, well, what's the point in even going past this if it's going to be like this and we just heard the middle? What did I do? That's uh, my take on your house. No, you just said it the most perfectly put way you could say it is now this is the first time in the album where really at the start of this track for me it starts off and i can see a potential slowdown pal slash palette cleanser here and i'm like okay it makes sense you know we just had the anthem we just had the the hug it up we just had the moment of the the first big moment of the album so far and it came off like you said uh, of three powerful songs but this song i'll, I'll use the word filler but th this song is just it never feels like a full thought to me over, I don't care how many times I listen to it. It never feels finished. The percussion in the back of this song sticks the same rhythm throughout the whole entire song. And it really, for me as a listener, it really takes away from the power that could have been in this song. There are points where you could have broke this song or or broke that beat or, or broke us, had a rest before a refrain that I feel like would have made this song pretty powerful. For me, it has this kiss me sixpence, none the richer vibe. But in that sense, that song fills out where this song doesn't. I mean, go all the way to the end of the song and it just fades. And it, it for me, that just shows that incomplete thought. We talk about Miss Potential a lot. I think there was super Miss Potential here. And this is one of the first cases on the album where I feel like a lack of a big time producer on this, not taken away from their producer. I know it was like brotherhood and the whole nine, 
but like a major league producer could have seen that and been like, all right, I can make a hit out of this song. I think there's a hit somewhere inside here, but for me, not, not the way it was put on, on this record. Yeah. And it is weirdly placed on the record in between these dynamic tracks that really stand out to have this just in the middle really kind of messes with the flow of this album. In my opinion, it does. It really does. And, uh, but on a positive note, you know what is a good song? I hear your house. I think of house songs. You know what is a good song? What up? Our House by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Grew up on that song. Grew <laughs> up on that song. That is a good one. Yes, much better than your house. So I wanted to end on a positive note and mention Our House because I like any it. chance we can, we should because that's a great song. Heard. I was going pretty hard there, too, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, we, we have to be a bit more positive for our next track on the album, track number five, Sweetness. This was actually originally intended for the Clarity album from 1999, but the album was already pressed and ready to go by the time they were ready to include it. So that didn't happen, but they played it regularly on the tour for Clarity, And uh, they put it here instead because they knew they had a hit. And uh, this is definitely a sing it back kind of song. They literally say that, sing it back, whoa. And uh, it's got that dynamic feel. I have to say, hearing this, I thought this would have been so cool to hear our Ocean's Calling. Because I'm sure they would have done it. This would have been a great song to hear them do. And... I think everybody would have just had the time singing it out loud, and it would have been quite epic. Um, Sadly, Ocean's Calling didn't happen. Hopefully next year, though. Hopefully next year. Maybe Jimmy World can bring some sweetness uh, with him next year. One can hope. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But, yeah, this is a... really dynamic, catchy song. It's got a pretty heavy riff that sticks like glue to you. And uh, Zach Lind actually said that the drum beat on this song was inspired by Larry Mullen of U2, and I definitely hear that U2 were going to play to the rafters kind of thing, because U2 is a stadium band, and uh, they make songs with that in mind, like, we're going to play to the rafters. Like, this definitely... Gives me a bit of a U2 vibe, I'm not gonna lie. Um, Yeah, this is a good song. It's one I feel like would be a lot more fun in a big crowd at a festival than just listening to it by yourself in your apartment like I did. I'll say that about it. Uh, What do you think? I'm right there with you. I always try to go through albums, figure out what would be awesome live or or fantasize on like, wow, that would be a great encore. Um, This is definitely a live piece you want to go to the polar opposite of the way i felt on the production of your house the production on this song is uh, i'll i'll use the word perfect i'll i'll use the word perfect on this the production on this this song is pretty damn perfect i i tell you right now i in my closed-minded listening of this on radio for two minutes or when people would sing it I used to hate on this song straight up. I used to make fun of it. I used to call it sophomoric. I, I, I used to say it came out of poppy punk town. 
like I, I definitely hate it on this song. Listening to it and and dissecting it, people are gonna call me a hypocrite on this one, but I love this track. Um, the the way that they layer the guitar and and bring this low to high uh, power chord like resonating in the background is fucking genius. Uh, it really rounds out the song at one fifty five when that piano hits just that single note chord or that that single chord and keeps railing on it, and then it has a full break and the song is brought back on that phaser effect. Shit, genius! Yeah, production at its finest, especially at its finest so far on this album for me. Uh, I enjoy this one. I enjoy this one, and I used to hate it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. If you couldn't tell because it was on the radio, it was a single. It was the third single, and it made it up to 75 on the Hot 100. So not as big as the middle, but still a well-known song. And it has close to 140 million streams on Spotify. So it's clearly beloved by quite a few. But for some reason for me, despite all the good things I can say about it, I agree with everything you said about it. But there's something still missing there for me. It, it's not it just doesn't 100 add up for me i feel like i should enjoy this song more than i do i wish i did but there's something there and uh, i think it is uh, in a way maybe the musicianship and songwriter of this not just this band but this genre i honestly Here's a hot tea take here. I think a lot of bands in this genre, I'm not a musician. I'm not going to say I could do it better myself, but I don't think that they're virtuosos on their instrument, anything even close to it. I feel like it's very high school talent show winners uh, get a record contract and a great producer. And so it sounds good. I feel like the production's elevating a track like this. Just my opinion, because I heard uh, a lot of better musicians. I don't think these guys are bad musicians, but are there better out there? Yeah, and I think it's the case for a lot of these bands. To me, the compositions seem to be pretty simple, and that's not always a bad thing, but it's really elevated by good production, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I do have to say, though, I from what I've seen, going through and listening to some of their live performance and, and watching some of their live performance over the past week, I'm pretty sure they could pull this off. You know, I don't think it was produced over what they could pull off, but you're right. That happens way too, way too often. Um, I think they could pull this off live. Oh, they could definitely pull this off live. I just wanted to make a more general point about my kind of issue with this genre and it, does apply to this song a bit because like I said there's just something not a hundred percent adding up I don't quite know what it is my best guess is it is the sterility I guess of the genre because I feel like that's how I would describe the music that we hear that's that's pretty spot on for me this it's very sterile scene yeah anyway we're going down the scene line Yes, we are. But uh, before we move on, a couple of fun facts. This song was a goal song for the Florida Panthers NHL team, and it was featured in EA Sports' NHL 2003 game for PS2. So I guess it's a hockey anthem. Who knew? I'll tell you what, EA, EA soundtracks across the board have brought my ears to songs that I never would have heard. So good for them getting on there. Yes, and uh, 
Yeah, I'm sure that helped uh, bring their music to a wider audience of people. Yeah. Bunch of hockey fans. There's probably like a secret club of uh, hockey Jimmy Eat World fans out there. Oh, man, you're killing me. I love it. <laughs> Based on the song's presence in hockey, that's my guess. But There you go. There you go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I speak of sterility, however, fortunately, the next song on the album is not sterile. It's track number six, Hear You Me. This is a really beloved non-single. This has over 87 million streams on Spotify, yet never a single, but has a touching backstory. So this is a tribute to two ladies named Michael and Carly Allen. They led the Weezer fan club and would follow that band regularly. And they sadly were killed in a car accident coming home from a Weezer concert, which is horrible. But Jimmy World knew these ladies. Uh, they were fans of them as well. And uh, Jimmy World often opened for Weezer in this era in particular, in addition to Green Day, Blink-182, and Incubus, all big established bands that definitely helped this band get out there. And uh, these two ladies often said the phrase, hear you me, and uh, were so generous as to give the band a place to stay when they needed it on the road, which is a beautiful thing to do, in my opinion. So they wrote this as uh, a tribute to them. And uh, I do think this is a beautiful song. I do feel that it's from the heart. I feel like it could have been very cheesy easily, especially when the chorus begins with May Angels Lead You In. That could have really gone down the sappy Treckley line, but I feel like it's out of that. Fortunately, I do feel that it's sincere and it features vocals from Rachel Hayden of a band called Bat Dog, which I've never heard of, but I think that's a great band name. <laughs> that dog and uh i think that she adds a lot to the song it's the first of uh, four songs she's featured on here and i do think that her vocals help elevate the songs and she doesn't really have a real aggressive voice it's a very soft pretty tone and she's basically the fifth member of the band at this point in time so there's that what do you Man. think of I'm going to come in here sound like a jerk after that because oh, I, no. did, I didn't realize that it, it had such a, a moving and gripping backstory. I did realize their work with Weezer, but I didn't know that this was a tribute song. This song does not fit for me at all. I couldn't find a way that it fits for me at all. It's it's a cool, nice, beautiful song. It literally is a beautiful song. Uh, there's some cool pieces in here, especially her voice. But for me... Where, how, why, who, <laughs> what are you doing putting this that song on this album, especially at, at this point in the album? Um, then finding out that it was originally slated to be used for Adkins uh, or 
orchestral side piece. Yes. Uh, Go Big Casino. And made it made sense there. Yeah. But and not, not really for me on this album. This album was pounding. And I'll I'll be honest, this is the first time that I really lost as as a as a active listener that I really lost my place and i was like oh man okay here we i'm not i'm not i'm not here really anymore i do agree that it's out of place on the album my thought is that they thought this is a good song we wrote and we want to include it where more people listen to it heard but it is an odd fit here and uh yeah, probably would have fit better with Go Big Casino, which I also think is an awesome name, by the way. I love that name. <laughs> I like it, too. Yeah. Honestly, both of those are better names than Jimmy World, in my opinion. That Dog and Go Big Casino. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I like the song individually a lot, but I do agree with you that it's out of place on this album. But I do have one thing to say. Because of her fandom of them, I think Taylor Swift should do this song with them live and sing the girl part on the song. Oh, she'd kill it. It'd be beautiful. <laughs> like I said, it's a beautiful song. It just, for me, I mean, we're doing this album. Psh, nah, come on. And this is a 10-track album. You, you, nobody would even blink an eye. You know, again, I sound like the heartless guy on it, but you're you're right. I, I would have to, if I was a betting man, which you know that I am, I would bet that they did put it on here so everyone could hear it and it could play for all the Weezer fans. You know, I, I'm with that. I'm totally with that. But, yeah. but eh, no. Without I, that, it has no place on this album. I agree. It was totally here so they could get a moving moment in their concert too probably i feel like this is a band that definitely when they write songs the impression i get from this album they definitely take into consideration how they're gonna sound live and i don't think that's a bad thing at all but i do think it's a consideration here for better or for worse so with that being said we're on to track seven if you don't don't bit more of a standard breakup tune i actually really like the hook of this song if you don't know why would you say so or no what is it yeah that's it i was right if you don't why would you say so i like that refrain it sticks to you it is a bit redundant but i think it's effective um and a bit relatable i thought that about people before and their thoughts what do you think of your special track seven here I think my track seven here is on a different album. Like, where in the hell are we now? We're like that last one really. I mean, hear you me really was like, oh, man. OK, all right. I just I don't understand the vibe here. Then we get here. And this one for me was even more out of place or like what album am I on? Because this one took that those driving strums and rhythms that they've used and made their sound at by this point at, at least in the album and it that doesn't even work for me again this is a, my opinion that doesn't work for me at all here gun to the head definitely my least favorite because here you me is a beautiful song but this um this this is another one where i'm like where are we at what are we doing with this album here N not my favorite not my favorite I wouldn't say it's my least favorite. I do agree with you about it being a bit out of place. This uh, is a 
just a, quite a bit different sonically from what we were doing earlier. That was so dynamic. And uh, I don't and, think it's a great song. I'm gonna, I, sorry, I want to make something clear here. Oh, no, you're good. With this, because it's out of my genre when it comes to albums like that, I really do try to amplify the positive points of it to make it sound as good as possible, even if it's not something I'd really go back and listen to after we're done recording this, which, is this a song I would go back and listen to after we're done with this? No, it's not. No. But yeah. I'm trying to point out the good parts of it. That's what I want to say. No, and anyone who's ever listened to us understands, you know, that that we're we're here to to praise music period but we also are breaking these albums down we don't have a problem with sonic changes or or I, i'll speak for myself on this one i don't have a problem with sonic changes i don't have a problem with concept changes inside of an album but i do have a problem with throwing them wherever you want to this album i'm i'm getting a little ahead of myself but just I just feel like, especially this song is it. We're we're hitting the back end. If this was a true vinyl, we're on the back, and I'm done listening at this point. In all honesty, you know, I, the the first the first side of this album was fire. I'll say, but you're here, and I'm 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 almost a hundred percent losing any want to listen to the album at this point. I don't disagree with you about the second half. I do feel these songs are all on totally different pages. There is no cohesiveness with the second half of the album. I agree with you on that completely. And uh, we have another big 180 with the next song, in fact, Get It Faster. And uh, he's saying that cheating gets it faster. The only really fun thing I could find about this song was that the drums were programmed by a PlayStation video game called MTV Music Generator. Are you which, joking? No, I'm not. I saw that. Finish your thought. I'm going to tell you about one of the best. Go on. Go. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's really the only noteworthy thing about the song for me. I think this is a filler. This is the least favorite for me. This is just, this feels like a B-side song, not a song that belongs on an album. This feels like a B-side. I heard. That's all I, I gotta I, say. I love the way that we get out of a super soft doldrum. Uh, I, I do think that that song works well here. Finding out that the the drums were done on MTV Music Generator, one, gives it like 20 million points in my book because not a lot of people have, know about this, but back in the day on PlayStation 1, there was a two-disc basically like studio i mean it was a straight up studio sample maker beat maker period but it was way ahead of it it was like cakewalk on if anybody's familiar or any producing software on playstation so we would sit there and and make beats for hours on hours super super awesome production uh tool and hidden behind an mtv music generator uh label that's that's amazing i haven't heard that name since the clone wars <laughs> that's real shit man that's awesome all right but yeah it, just, it gets out of the slow part of this album it's a cool song it, it, you you said you said b track it, it really is it, it's one of those ones that you put out with a single that's not going to make the album but i feel like that's where we are on this half of the album 
Oh, we it's, are. It's like, what, what, what are we doing here? I'll, I'll sum it up in, in the synopsis, but it, it just, for me, it ain't nothing. <laughs> oh, I agree, unfortunately, but we're not at the end yet. We're on to track number nine, uh, which is called Cautioners. Interesting uh, song title. I think it's a cool song. I think that could even be a cool album title. Um, the most noteworthy thing about this is it has these drum loops just repeated throughout over and over again. I feel like the repetition's the point. It's a cool trick. I do feel it gets a bit redundant considering the song's over five minutes long, but it's a cool trick. It's more interesting musically than lyrically. I feel like this is just a redundant, boring breakup song. I think the drum loops, the really cool thing about it, in my opinion, that's the good thing I would say. The the sound on this is cool, man. You're right. This song is cool um, musically. It has a little bit of a different feel than what we've been accustomed to throughout this album, um, and it's it's enjoyable to the ear. But if you go through the lyrics, it's it it's it's cookie cutter in, in my opinion. You know, it's just like all right, here we go. Um, I like I like your point about the repetition and, and that that would it lends itself to what they're saying here. But it uh, yeah, it, it really just it's a, it's a neat sounding track. It's a neat, you know, another one that you could pop on the other side of a single. Yeah. And uh, one thing I read about this song, apparently it's been compared to the cars and just now. Absolutely not. This is not interesting enough. Uh, to be a Cars song, in my opinion. I mean, one, it's slow. Most of the Cars songs are very upbeat, but... That's where I was going to go. Like, a little slow to be a Cars song, but... I mean, but even if we're going to compare it to their big slow song, Drive, no, this is no Drive. (laughs) It's not dynamic enough. Drive has a nice atmosphere to it. It has... a great vocal performance that really stands out. It has a meaning behind its lyrics. It's kind of basic. It's not deep poetry, but it cuts deeper than this. I just don't understand that comparison at all. And uh, honestly, I would say this, that's insulting to Rick Ocasek. Yeah, Imagine I, I, if he produced this album. He would have whipped them in the shape. I, I, I don't see the 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 line there in between those two. And again, I said it before, I really think that a couple of these songs have hits inside them or, or have potential inside them that an, a major league producer like him could have done. Yeah. Wonders. Wonders. Yeah. I mean, he did produce Weezer, but admittedly, I think Weezer had stronger songs than these when he worked with them for the blue album definitely all those songs were stronger than these so i mean I, again i we're we're not here to shit on anything you know that this doesn't hold a candle to blue album in my opinion in any oh way. no i'm um, sure that was an influence but most stuff you can hear Weezer influence uh, you go back to uh well i won't go back but yeah i used to hate on it and be like this is a fake ass Weezer song uh back in the day Sweetness, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it kind of is. I feel like we're listening to a second rate. Now, I, I, 
I, I won't I won't take that away from them because I knowing how close they were with Weezer and knowing how much of working musicians they were, I'd like to think that that was just inspiration. You know, I I'm, I have to get out of my closed minded mindset of back then of like, oh, this is a sellout punk song. That's crap. Uh, I really. And, and I did. I like I said, it, when we started this, I, I got past that. This is me literally being critical uh and it could have been any album at this point i would have said the same thing yeah i mean honestly though i feel like these guys even i'm not the biggest green day fan in the world but they're better than this a bit i would say then at this point in the album we're doing i feel like we're just kind of throwing shit together at this point and uh um, this second half is tough man it's tough it is thinking there was a meeting and they were like this is the track list and this is the the order i don't know it, it's just it's tough for me well you know we're not even at the grades yet we sound like we're grading the album <laughs> it's hard not to though when we're already at this point though but I well like. i have a bit more optimism for the penultimate track um which is track 10 uh, the authority song this is not a john mellencamp cover but <laughs> It mentions that song and is definitely influenced by it melodically. Heard. I'm glad that they didn't do a cover of John Mellencamp because that would not have worked with this at all. Totally different vibe. Yeah, but they're referencing and they're smart. I I, I won't take that away from them. There, There are times where they are very, very smart musicians. And I enjoy that, especially with this. And we, we hearken back to the praise course. You know, if you're going to take from the old boys, give a holler. And I love that. I, 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 they're, they're very smart that way. Yes. And I'll say this now. I like this better than the praise chorus, actually. Yeah, I hear you there. I hear you there. I do like the melody of it. I mean, I do think they were inspired by somebody good with that. I mean, I'm not a diehard John Mellencamp fan, but he was one of the most consistent 80s hit makers. And he did consistently put out very nice, melodically sound tunes that still sound good today. So uh, that's a credit on him. But I do think that they took it a bit better with this. I do think this is the best on the second half of the album by a mile. By by a mile. Hands down, this is my favorite song on the second half of this album. Yeah, it's not a contest in that regard. This is one of the ones I actually did add to my Apple Music library. I did not add the whole album, but this one I did. I actually enjoyed it. I really like the backing vocals too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't quite say it's brilliant, but it's enjoyable, and uh, I like what they did here. I do. Yeah, this is one of three songs that I added to my playlists as well. Yeah. A 40 song was a relative winner for us. (laughs) Yep, definitely. So, yay for that. And now we are at the end of the album, My Sundown. And we're, again, we're at a stripped-down closer. This was also originally intended for Go Big Casino. Yep. Um, But unlike Here You May, this is lyrically the most emo song on the album, in my opinion. This is extremely self-pitying. 
No one cares. I could be so much more than this. And uh, this is where I go back. This is my issue with this genre. That is way too self-pitying to listen to in a song, in my opinion. I mean, have I had doubts? Yes. Do I see where people would relate to this? Yes. But it's just so whiny. Like, <laughs> I, you're gonna make me laugh jesus christ I, I understand what you're saying i i don't know if it's a glorification and and like you said you can see where people could come in but it's something i never understood either why sing about that again we're it's our own opinions too you know yes but i think there are better ways to go about these valid emotions musically Heard. But these emo artists are just not strong enough songwriters uh, to come up with something better than this. And in my opinion, that's an issue. And that's I, why I don't listen to this. And this is maybe going to make me sound like an asshole, but I kind of just want to say, put on your big boy pants and uh, stop whining. Just stop. At least the vocals aren't as whiny as they are from Blink-182, but... <laughs> you going at Blink-182 today. <laughs> I, I really am. I'm just, you know, this one really fired me up a lot. I actually, no, this is my least favorite. It's not bad musically. I, the other one I said was boring, but no, I don't like the, this attitude. I don't like these lyrics. If you're going to go about it, you got to go about it differently. This is just not it. Like, this is not the... These are the same guys earlier in the album you wrote the middle for us. Heard. This great pick-me-up song, things will get better, and you're going to end on such a down note? Like, I'm, I'm, yep. no, I don't like that. Well, see, I tried to really sit back, and, and I, I went back and forth with this thought as well. And then I was like, man, come on, you grew up in the grunge era. We were, we were crybaby, you know, we were trying not to be cool to be cool. And and I really tried to draw that line, but that's where I ended up being is like the difference from like where they are mentally in this album period. I won't I won't even do the whole genre in this album period. It's like, yeah, if you look back at those grunge albums, maybe you get like smells like teen spirit, but that still ain't, you know, the middle. You know, that's still not the happy go lucky jam of the year. So it's something that that. I, I'm just working into. I'm trying to understand it more and more. This, this was a cool dive, though. Uh, you know, let's finish in with me on my my sundown. It's cool. It's one of the ones that should have been on that Go Big Casino. I, you know, I, I just I don't understand how it fits here, and it, it I don't know. This second half was really lackluster. I wanted not I got some really fun things out of this album. I got some really cool takes. I got I got three songs for playlists out of this album, but this second half, man, it was tough. It really was tough. That's with all of the predisposition that I had for for this genre. It it just as a critical mind as as we do, strip it down and do it like it's the first time we heard it. The second half was tough. I completely agree with you. And before I give my grade, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. What up? So your mention of grunge, as we know, if you've been listening for a bit, Kurt Cobain wasn't my favorite songwriter or person we've discussed on this podcast. However, I'm going to 
give the guy some credit here. When it came to that self-pitying feeling, he knew how to articulate it in a song better than these emo bands did. He, I think, did that pretty well. I'm not going to lie. If you do want to listen to that self-pitying thing, he knew how to write a song about it. He was uh, just a stronger songwriter than a lot of his ancestors, I guess you could say. Because uh, I guess this is the path that Nirvana helped create to an extent, but it's a never-ending path, you know. Yeah. This is taking from uh, grunge in some ways. It's uh, in some ways you could say evolution from that sound as we move into the 2000s. I would actually say it's a devolution. That's really harsh, but it is, uh, in my opinion, a devolution. Heard. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what's your grade for the album? You said you were doing yours first. Oh, I did. Um, This is a C for me. There were some really cool songs on it that I added to my playlist. The middle, of course, is a classic. I'm not going to take anything away from it. And I did try to be fair. This is not my favorite genre at all. But not all the tunes stacked up. And that was the issue. And... That's a bit of a problem when you have a really dynamic single like The Middle. You gotta have the rest of it stack up. And for some people, it did. For me, it did. Yep. I, um, I'm i actually at a C. I, I almost went C+, but I really feel like where this album came off so beautifully hit-heavy and just really well-rounded in the first three to four, just the first half of this album. The way it ended left me to believe that someone dropped the ball. I, I, it, it, it's very, very poorly put together as an album, as far as, for me, the way I feel an album should go. Regardless of that, musically, it's there too. It, unfortunately, I find a lot of the same sound and redundancy throughout this album, and it's tough to really get past it over and over again, listening-wise. Again, music is beautiful, and whoever gets whatever they get out of listening to whatever genre, more power to you. Um, I thank you guys as listeners for for throwing this one in our laps because we learned, or I'll speak for myself, I, I learned new things about music history, period. I, I found some neat, smart things inside of the Jimmy Eat World mission statement, I guess you could say, the way they go about doing their music. And at the very least, I listened to an album that I had literally had never listened to before. So in, in those silver lining playbook thoughts, I you know, thank you for this one. Yes, and I will say these guys are definitely hard workers. I won't take anything away from them for that. I am glad that they had the success that they had with this album. They did really work hard for it. It just, unfortunately, is not my favorite album I've ever heard. But I more power to them. I'm glad it did speak to people. Just not for me quite. And just could have uh, been stronger. But uh, what are you going to do? I guess they can't all be A's. They, you know, and they never will all be A's. Uh, no. These guys are, like you said, hard worker. Their their live performance are, performances are pretty cool and pretty pretty like they get the crowd going and you can't you can't take that away from them either. So you know we're we're judging this album. That's that's what I always have to 
not have to. That's what I always end up saying to a lot of people as we go through with opinions on different albums and talking to people who have heard it. Now, you know, I'm, we're not doing groups. We're doing we're doing albums, and that C is for this album. Yes, it is. But do I think this would be a cool band to see at a festival? Absolutely. I'll yeah. say that right now. But album itself, just not our favorite. Sure. So what's your favorite song? Oh, favorite song on the whole album? The man, I had I had two here, but I'm gonna go right to sweetness. Is is I found a new love for that track. I used to hate that track, but there's there's some great production inside of it. Okay. I'm gonna be basic and say the middle, just the beautiful feel-good song that I've always enjoyed when I heard it and one that eclipses the pop punk genre. So and also I wanted to say this. I feel like the middle should have been the theme song to the TV show, The Middle. <laughs> that used to be one of my favorite shows, actually. I used to watch that religiously. It's been off the air for a few years now, but I used to love that show. <laughs> that would be cool. It was featured at the end of the pilot episode, but then that, it probably was expensive for them to pay for the rights to it, I'm sure. but At that point, oh yeah. I think that would have been so awesome, but that's just me in fantasy land. So, <laughs> but hey, if you haven't, you can watch the middle if you want a nice feel good show. And uh, yeah, with that being said, it's kind of funny. We talk about all the sadness they were talking about and we're going on to a Sad one to end out our month. A heartbreak classic of an album to many. This is one that we both uh, agreed on. It was a runner-up for you as a pick for this decade. It was. And uh, for me, it was a curiosity because it's one I'm embarrassed to admit I have not listened to the whole way through before. I was going to say, for me, it ain't that sad of an album. There's some sad tunes, but I... Well... I don't want to get too far down in there. I feel you. It's, I say that in part because of the artist, admittedly. Heard. Because we will be discussing Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. And uh, and you've never listened to it all the way through. I have not, which is I crazy. Love I love it. I but love it. I'm ready to finally do it. And I'm really looking forward to examining this one. I think it'll be a really interesting one to do. And... Uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more about it beyond that. Just let's yeah. go. Back to yeah. black. Let's go. That's all I can say about it. But there, there, there's gonna be some tea. So I that, oh that's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool. Yeah. Oh no. It'll be a good one to dive into. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for that, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Leave us a nice review and rating. That would also be really appreciated. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts. And if you're feeling really nice, you can support us through Anchor via a monthly donation. That would be greatly appreciated, too, because that money is not just to fill our pockets. It is used to help produce this podcast and make it better. And that's what we want to do for you. So just keep that in mind if you want us to keep producing quality content. We'll keep doing it, of course. but. Any way we can make it better, we want to. But in the meantime, everything will be all right, even if you're in the middle. No better way I can think of to end this. Most definitely. Stay tuned until we go back to black. Peace. Peace.